Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. So it is so good, as Justin said, to see all of you this morning. It is so great to hear uh, everyone singing, kind of echoing off the rafters again. This is a great, uh, this is a great morning. My, my name is Albie. For those of you who haven't got a chance to meet one of the pastors here with Justin, who just walked through that door, who you just heard. <laughs> um, but Ralph Waldo Emerson once said this, a man's life is what he thinks about all day long. A man's life is what he thinks about all day long. I want to have you think about this. Have you ever considered the extent that what occupies your mind, have you ever considered how much that can influence your behavior? Have you ever considered the, the, the idea that what occupies your mind influences your behavior? So we've been going through uh, Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. It's funny, I listened to it the other day on the, on the Dwell app, which is an awesome app for listening to the Bible, and it took... I think 15 minutes and 33 seconds to hear the whole letter read from beginning to end. Um, this is week like 23 in our series, so I've got a 15-minute letter is taking us uh, going on six months. But there's so much good stuff in here, and that, and that is why. Um, but we're at the end of the letter, and what Paul is doing as this letter is coming to the close is he's pretty much firing off a bunch of rapid-fire instructions to this church. Uh, you know, and I was thinking about it. It's almost like, you know, if you're a parent, you've seen the movies where a parent drops their kid off at college and five minutes before they go, they're just giving them all this last minute stuff. Like make good choices. Don't just eat pizza. Don't go to bed at 3 a.m. all the time. And for the love of God, just please remember how he raised you. All right. That's kind of what Paul is doing here at the end of this letter. Just rapid fire, a bunch of stuff to tell them. And one of the final instructions to this church that he has is he is focusing on the importance of what they consistently think about and dwell on. And here's why. Our thoughts impact our emotions, which impact our behavior. Our thoughts impact our emotions, which impacts our behavior. Uh, Dennis Johnson, he wrote a commentary on Philippians that I've been using through this whole series, and I love what he had to say. This is what he's almost summarizing Paul's words. He said, the thoughts that occupy our minds... And the images and stories that capture our imagination will shape our character and find expression in our actions. Think about that. The thoughts that occupy our minds, the stories that capture our imagination, they will shape our character and find their expressions in our actions. And so this is why the entire letter to the Church of Philippi that we've been been going through is saturated with the truths of This is who Jesus is, and this is what followers of Jesus should look like, because Paul is trying to capture our imaginations with a vision of the good, the beautiful, and the true, which is ultimately seen in Jesus. That is what he has been doing from the beginning of this this letter. So I want to just, here's two questions for you to get you started. One is, what do you spend the most time thinking about? And here, and I'm going to you know, add a qualifier to it of when you have nothing else to think about. What do you spend the most time thinking about when you have nothing to think about? Where does your mind naturally go? What are the type of things? 
And then this, this question. Who are the voices that, purely through the amount of time you grant them, you are consistently giving permission to shape your imagination and character? So who are the voices, just strictly through the amount of time that you grant them, that you are giving permission, because of how much time you give them, to shape your imagination and your character? Um, does anyone, anyone like me where you get this really judgy message from your iPhone on Sunday mornings that gives you your screen time report? When you look at it, and you're like, oh my goodness, I thought I was making progress. Why did you have to do this to me at 9.35 on Sunday morning? So I feel terrible. <laughs> uh, anyone, anyone get that message? You go to that phone, you're like... So we live in what economists call the attention economy. We live in an attention economy. And here's what that means is that the most valuable asset you have is your time. Because companies know that if they, can, if they can suck up your time, they can kind of control your emotions, control what you think about, and then influence your behavior. Whether that's towards what you buy, what you're dissatisfied with, who you vote for, what you get upset about. We live in the attention economy. And a good rule of thumb is if you get something for free that costs a lot of money to make, you are the product, not the consumer. Why do you think all of the apps like Facebook and Instagram, all these things that cost millions and millions of dollars to run are free? That we don't have to pay for them. They just give them to us. Because what they do is they commoditize our time. And it can be sold. And so on the other end of this are very brilliant people who know how your brain works, whose goal is to suck up as much of your time as possible, whether that's on Candy Crush, whether that's on doom scrolling through the news feed, whatever, they don't care, because we live in the attention economy. And here is why that is important. What you give your attention to on a regular basis will shape you, will form you, will work on your emotions, will direct what you care about, will direct what you get outraged about, and will eventually change your behavior. So this is why more than ever, we need to hear what Paul has to say in Philippians 4.8. Listen to what he says again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Or what he's saying is dwell on these things. Or think about these type of things regularly. Let these be the type of things that fill your mind, that capture your imaginations, because they are the things that will slowly shape your character and express themselves in your actions. This is so important. Um, I love how Paul starts out with this, whatever is true. I want to I I focus on that word for a minute because the word true and the word reality have very similar meanings. So reality can be defined as the world or state of things as they actually exist as opposed to the idealistic or notional idea of them. Reality is how the world actually exists as opposed to how you wish the world exists. <laughs> Uh, I forget who said it, but someone said, reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. Uh, that's what reality is. 
And truth is that which accords with reality. Um, So much of Jesus' teaching was basically, let me reveal reality to you. Let me reveal to you the way things actually are as opposed to how you think they are or how you wish they are. You know, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts, Jesus is always saying things like, he would go, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would explain it. This is what the kingdom of heaven is. Or he would say things, uh, you have heard it said this, but I say to you, it's actually this. Jesus said things like, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Jesus is always calling us into an encounter with truth, into an encounter with reality, into an encounter with the way the world actually is. Um, Or how about this one? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that is true, that has a huge bearing on reality and how we are called to respond to God. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, if that is a picture of reality, the way the world really works, then we need to pay very careful attention to what Jesus says. Because reality is about the way the world actually is, not the way we want it to be, or wish it would be, or even think it is. And often a lot of what scripture is doing is trying to align our thoughts about God, reality, the way it really works with reality and bring that into closer focus. Um, Scripture, the scriptures are telling us a story of how the world really works. And and here's another truth you have to know. And make no mistake about it. There are competing visions of reality that are vying for your hearts and your minds. There are competing stories about the way the world works, what we should value, all of that, that are vying for your hearts and your minds. It's just, it's it's, it's true. And a guy named John Mark Comer, he's a pastor, that he's helped me really think through this in a helpful way. And he says, think about it as the difference between unintentional formation and intentional formation. So here is what unintentional formation is. So we all live in a culture, uh, New England, 2021, in a and even in in this keen area is a specific culture, and there's something about our culture, the way things work, the stories we believe, that just shapes you. The stories, our our phones, the news, all of that, just by waking up in the morning and walking out the door, you are being formed and shaped. It's different than if you grew up, if you grew up in 17th century China, that culture would be forming you as well, it would just look different. So he says, unintentional spiritual formation means that we are shaped and formed by the stories that we believe, we are also formed by our habits. It's amazing how much you do on autopilot. And we are formed by the relationships that we have. And here is the invitation of Scripture. The Scripture, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, through these words, knows this. And is trying to tell us that it's an invitation into intentional formation. Where the stories that we believe and we are told are shaped and changed, and they are now the story that God tells. That the, that the habits that we have are replaced with practices, intentional practices. We spent a whole day at Camp Spofford, a group of about 30 of us, talking about our rhythms, our reach rhythms as a community, 
And these are practices and habits that are helping us form us in the way of Jesus. And then also community in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what is forming us. And a major part of intentional spiritual formation is filling your mind with reality. Reality as revealed in God's word. And this is why the scriptures can feel offensive at times. Do you know why? Because it's telling us that the stories we believe about the way the world works are often not true. That's why it can be offensive. It's saying that story you believe about the path to happiness or the boundaries that you are supposed to place around your sexuality or what you do with the poor or how we handle power, saying some of the stories that you are told about that from the culture around you are wrong. But let me tell you the good, the true, and the beautiful way of God. That is why scripture can be offensive because it's revealing reality. And there's going to be parts about the story that impact us in, in, in different ways. But Jesus is inviting us into reality. Um, but here is what I think is also interesting, is in almost all the commentaries you read will pick up on it on this passage, is that it's the word whatever. This word whatever means that the stories our culture is telling us, that we resonate with, that they're not all wrong either. They're not. Paul would so often, this is what he would do as his missionary strategy. He would go into a place, find out what was good, beautiful, or true, or a hint of it at least, and he would say things that say, hey, you know what? I see you believe this. Here, here's, here's what that is a hint or an echo of. Let me use this to point you to the real God. So once he was walking around Athens, I think it was, and he, and then Athens, at the time there was, there was idols, there were shrines to all the different gods everywhere. And he spent a couple of days walking around seeing it, and, and, and here is how he approached them. He didn't go, you dirty, silly, dumb pagans. I cannot believe you have all these statues up that you think are gods. That is so dumb. You know, how many bridges would that actually build? <laughs> how many people are won over by calling them stupid? Remember that next time you're arguing with someone about politics, uh, for the record. That's not really very persuasive. Um, but here's what Paul did. He would say, he walked around and said, listen, I can see that you're very religious. I can see that you care about this. And you know what? Actually, I saw this one shrine that was to the unknown God. So here's what I'm here to do. What you worship as unknown, let me reveal to you. The God who made the earth and the stars and the universe cannot be summed up in something that just can be carved with human hands. He is so much greater. Let me tell you about that. That is how Paul would do, do things, and that's how we are called to do, because as followers of Jesus as Christians, we can celebrate what is good and beautiful and lovely and true wherever we see it. Because all, if, the, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, all truth is God's truth. If it's true, it's of God. It's just, it's just that's the way the world works. And we can celebrate that. And we can point to it. Um, but here's something else that I found really interesting. If we can put that, if you, if you want to put that list back up. Um, the, the terms that Paul uses here, many of these are not actually found. Uh, in this, and this is the only place they show up in Scripture. But where they do show up a lot is, is in the ancient lists of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and the Stoics of 
there were these kind of character lists and virtue lists of this is what makes a good person. And so Paul is modeling this after these, uh, the list of, of Plato and Aristotle, I, even I think as a way to back up of, hey, w- like they were onto something. And do you know why they were onto something? Do you know why? It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe or what, what, what religion you are from or if you don't even believe in God at, at all, that the stories that you read or the characters that you look up to that are true, that are honorable, that are pure, why are, that are lovely, why are we so attracted to beauty? It doesn't matter who you are. Whether things are commendable, why do we have a value for seeing things done excellently? Uh, why do we, why is there, if there's anything worthy of praise, why, as humans, are we drawn to this? It doesn't matter who you are. Why are we drawn to this? Because this is what God is like. And Jesus is the ultimate expression of this. And, and, and as uh, Augustine said, we all have a God-shaped hole in us that can only be filled by him. So no matter where you see it, we are going to be drawn to it. It's a magnet. We can't not be drawn to it because that is a, in, in a dim reflection at times of what God is like. And there's this qualifier here where he says, anything that is worthy of praise, that again is this reminder though that there are going to be things that people say are worthy of praise that are not which is why as followers of Jesus, the ultimate revelation of what is true is revealed to us through his word. And as we know it inside and out and really well, what can happen is we get better and better at spotting what is actually true and picking out what isn't. And it's very freeing because you don't have to get upset about everything all the time. You can highlight, hey, this impulse that you have, that's, that's actually coming from a good place, but your solution, I feel like, is misguided. Let me talk about what I think the, the scriptures or Jesus is calling us into in this. It just, it just builds so many bridges. Um, the, one of my favorite illustrations, too, on, on figuring out what is true is, do you know how bank tellers are trained to spot counterfeits? You would think that they just kind of, uh, like, here's, here's all the latest counterfeits, learn them. That's not what they do. The way most bank tellers are trained to spot counterfeits is they spend a ton of time handling and feeling the real thing. They know the marks of authenticity of the real thing, and they, and they handle it and they feel it so that when they find a counterfeit, they know it's off, not because they've studied everything that's false, because they are so into and in line with what is true. And so for us, part of that is our call. Our calling is to be soaked and immersed in what is true so that we can both spot what is false but celebrate it wherever we see it. Here's the link, though, between thinking and action because Paul moves on. He says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So when he says received, what he is talking about received is a specific body of information. In this case, he's talking about the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and what Paul was teaching them. That's, that's what he's talking about there. But learned, this is talking about the type of learning that you can only pick, on, pick up on by watching someone else's example. This, this word used for learn is the type of learning that's only available by watching somebody else. So Paul is writing to this church, and he's telling them, he's encouraging them at the end of, of this letter. He says, what you have learned and you've received and you've heard in me, practice these things. 
You know, 10 plus years ago when I started this church and you saw what it took, you saw what I gave up for the, for the gospel, you heard the message that I brought, remember that. You saw how I responded when I was mistreated. You, you, you saw how this, this community doesn't uh, separate necessarily between insiders and outsiders, between the way the world uh, around you operates, but has a bit that is a wide open table that people are invited into. So you, you have seen all that. You've learned it. Now practice it. Because following Jesus is a way of life. It's not just a belief system. Is there specific truths revealed about who God is, about the way the world works, that we, in a sense, have to agree with because God says it's the way it is? Absolutely. But that has manifested itself ultimately in a way of life. Faith in Jesus is a way of life. And what I love about when I read the Gospels is this, that Jesus lived the truest life there was. Jesus lived, the way he lived, most fully lined up with reality. If you want to know, when he says, I have come to show you life and life the abundance, he says, he lived in a way that most matched how the world actually worked. And often it was surprising. See, you know, in God's eyes that uh, he, you know, they, they used to do, um, people would give an offering. Someone who was very rich put a bunch of money in the plate and was almost like, I hope it doesn't mean no, but, you know, I'm just going to toss that down. Everyone's going to see. And then a poor widow came in and put two small pennies, the least of what she had. And Jesus called out, to his, told his disciples, he goes, you know what? Her gift was more acceptable to God and was a bigger deal because this guy, he gave out of his abundance. She gave out of her poverty. That was the bigger sacrifice. Huh. But in the eyes of the world, this guy would get his name on the side of the building, would get the plaque, and people would be like, oh, that's cute, thank you. But Jesus says, you know what? That's not the way the world works. So we want to line our lives up with reality. And one of the ultimate things we're called to line our lives up with reality is when Jesus says this, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. That was one of the main things he would go when he was walking around telling people about the kingdom of God. Repent and believe the good news. To repent means to turn around, to go the other way to agree with reality that you are walking in the wrong direction and to turn and believe the good news. So as we go into a time, we're gonna, after, after the message, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate communion today. I was thinking about, do you know what communion is? Communion is a way amongst all of us that we celebrate and we highlight reality. The reality and the truth is it took the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood to make a way for you to be reconciled to God. That is the way the world works. And we don't, and, and, and some people say that in a very offensive way, almost with glee, in the sense of the people that don't, like, ah, like, that's, that's terrible. Don't do that. But if that is the way the world works and how God is and what he's offering, we, we do no one any favors by saying anything different. Jesus showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he made a way for us to be reconciled to God. Because the reality, the truth is, we cannot earn our way into his good graces by what we do. It's, that's what he, that's, that's Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And the worst thing that would, could possibly ever happen to you when it says reality is what you bump into when you're wrong is to disregard that. Say, no, you're wrong, Jesus, I'm right. If the God of the universe came and lived the life we should have lived, died in your place on the, on the, on the cross and rose again on the third day so that you could have life, and his big invitation with arms wide open is everyone who comes to me can be saved. Come unto me, but there is only one way to the Father, and I am it. It is narrow, but is open to anybody who repent and believe the good news. And that is the truth, the reality of what the Bible has to say. So my invitation, not my invitation, the invitation of Jesus, repent and believe. Accept, in a sense, accept reality as a gift to you. One of the truest and simplest prayers we can, we can pray is, just Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the truth is, if we, are, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The gospel is truth. The gospel is good news and is open and available to, to everyone. So let us go from here as we go into communion, as we sing, as we worship, Set our minds, set our hearts on what is true, what is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, which is ultimately seen in Jesus. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, let us think about these things so that what we have learned and received and heard, we can practice. And the God of peace will be with us so that we can live in line with reality. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.